Hey everyone, this is Brian from the Tennis IQ Podcast. Josh and I hope that you are enjoying the content and discussions that we put out week after week. If you'd like to support the podcast and help us to continue to produce quality episodes, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash podcast slash membership. Currently, we have three tiers of support, the fan level at $3 per month, the supporter level at $7 per month, and the champion level at $20 per month. Benefits of joining the Tennis IQ podcast community include episode transcripts, participation in book club discussions, and access to monthly masterclasses with me and Josh. For more on these benefits of support, head on over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash podcast slash membership. Thank you so much. And now, on to the show. Welcome to the Tennis IQ Podcast. I'm Brian Lomax. And I'm Josh Berger. And in today's episode, we are going to discuss the willingness to be a, to experiment and to be a student. And um, Brian, I, I appreciate you bringing up this idea, bringing up this concept, because I think it's, it's a really important one. I think that, you know, and I think there's a lot of different angles we can dive into here, but I think that you know when it comes to experimenting it really is it really is a key it really is key in terms of players working on their game players getting better players you know looking to make changes right i think um you know one of the big things that gets often gets in the way of people making changes and growing with their game is that they identify with playing a certain way Okay, I am this type of player. I am a counterpuncher, or I am a servant volleyer, or an aggressive baseliner, or whatever it may be. And I think you know it's very easy to put our identity in a certain playing style or in a certain way of playing. That could also be our form for a certain shot, for instance. Um, but when we're willing to experiment, when we're willing to make changes, but viewing it as an experiment where it doesn't need to be so permanent, doesn't need to be forever. And we can always change back. We can always experiment again. Um, I think there's a lot of benefits to that. And we can certainly talk more about that. Um, but I think it, yeah, I think it, it you know, um, by experimenting, it can absolutely save our identity and, and our ego. And, you know, doesn't necessarily feel as personal to us or as threatening to us in that same way. Um, and we can also absolutely talk about, you know, being a student. I know we've We've talked a bit about this in the past and, you know, how to be a great student, how to be a great learner and and that sort of thing. Um, but, yeah, Brian wanted to see some of your thoughts on on uh, this idea. Yeah. To me, this is, is an integral part of becoming a better player. And if we can all be associating with that as one of our main purposes for doing this, to become the best player that we can become, Um we can associate or or identify with this a little bit more, but I think it's difficult to be a student. It's difficult to to experiment because we all do have egos, and especially when we try something for the first time. I would say more as adults, Josh, or maybe from teenage years on, where the ego is a little bit more developed and we are a little bit more fearful fearful of mistakes. We would like to be good right away, even though right. that's kind of an unrealistic expectation. Um, you know, we don't want to feel like we're bad at something. We don't want to 
look bad in front of others. We don't want to embarrass ourselves. And this the ego is is a lot of what is driving that. And and then that can be an impediment to experimenting things and trying new things. So I've recently started working with um, a player who, um, yeah, maybe a little bit lower level player, but but, but getting better, really interested in, in, in getting better. And one of the things I have athletes do week to week is something called concentration grids. So um, if anybody who's listening is interested in, in those, you can go to concentrationgrids.com and, and you'll see what they are. But it basically, it's a grid of 100 numbers from double zero to 99. And your your mission essentially is to click on the numbers in order from double zero to 99 as fast as you can. And so uh, this player wrote about her attempt to do this. And she noted, uh, and I have people write observations of this, that uh, her mind was wandering. She felt like a failure doing this. And and I usually want people to do at least two um, and, and maybe more a week. <clears throat> she quit after one. She didn't go back to it. And in some ways, I get it. This is, this is, it's a hard thing. It's, it's kind of like a performance. You're talking to yourself. You see the time in the bottom part of the screen and you can't find a number and and now you're like, where's the number? I'm so bad at this. So a lot of ego stuff coming in to play. And it got this person to not even want to try a second one. So it was a really good conversation to talk about why did you have this need to feel good? Was not feeling good maybe making you not feel smart or something like that? And we went back to this, Josh. We went back to this concept. Well, let's just experiment with it. Let's try some new strategies for it. Perhaps let's try some different self-talk that goes into it. Maybe we could do some relaxation breathing ahead of time. Because in the end, nobody is going to ask you about what your concentration grid times are. Nobody cares. This is purely something for you to work on the skill of focusing and concentrating and scanning and developing your working memory, right? There's a lot of good stuff here. Um, It's also an opportunity to practice doing little hard things. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, it's hard, but can you embrace that? Can you embrace what what's going on here? Even if you even if you don't think the thing the 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 exercise is teaching you anything, even though it is, can you just embrace doing a little hard thing so that the next time something hard comes up, you're less likely to quit on that. And so there was a productive conversation about being willing to try something being willing to just be a student and in a way, detach yourself from it. Be an observer. So that's my first question to her was, all right, try to be outside yourself. Observe. You wrote these things down. What do you think is happening? Like, Look into your own mind, into your own behavior, and try to analyze that a little bit. And I think that's that's a big part of the experimentation piece, Josh, is can we be more like scientists? Can we see when we try something new on the court or a new tactic, can we see the result not so much as uh, identifying with our ego of being good or bad, but rather as data to be examined? We can examine later. Maybe we learn what to do. Maybe we learn something needs to be refined. Maybe we learn what not to do. But the more we can maybe detach from that and be like a scientist on it can really help with that whole experimentation piece. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think this idea actually reminds me of two different, two different books um, and, and authors who I think have, have talked a lot about this concept outside of tennis. Um, the first is, is Tim Ferriss, who is a, you know, author, podcaster has done, you know, a lot of really interesting work. And um, in his, you know, in, in four hour work week, he talks a lot about this idea of viewing things as a, as an experiment and, you know, being able to put your ego aside where, okay, I can view this as an experiment. I can test things out. I can see what works for me. I can go, you know, through trial and error and see what works. And you know what, if it doesn't, I can always go back, right? And where like, you know, it's, I think in, in that way, it's far more low risk rather than, you know, okay, if, if this doesn't work, then I don't know what I'm going to do next because, you know, there's a, there's a certain feeling attached to not being successful or feeling like a failure or feeling dumb or something like that, or, or, you know, just feeling like we haven't succeeded at what we want to do, especially if we're used to a certain level of success, if we've been winning, if we have a certain ranking or rating and we attach our identity to that. Um, so yeah, so Tim Ferriss was the first author. And then there's a, a recent book, which I've been telling a lot of people about, and I, I really, I absolutely loved it. It's called Feel Good Productivity. Um, and it's from an author, his name is Ali Abdal, A-L-I, and his last name is A-B-D-A-A-L. And he was a doctor and became sort of a YouTuber on the side. And his YouTube channel blew up to 5 million subscribers and started slowly but surely doing that full time and uh, puts out a lot of content about on YouTube about productivity. I think it actually started with uh, med medical school study have, study um, tips and things like that and turned into more productivity. Um, but the book, the book itself is more about, you know, how to make product. It's called Feel Good Productivity. And it's sort of how to make productivity fun and enjoyable and sort of enjoy the process and really have been absolutely loving it. But one piece that I really enjoyed was he talked about try and, and again, he comes from a medical background himself. Um, he talks about trying to view, view, um, view these tests, you know, thinking about productivity, you know, thinking about um, making certain changes in your life, but viewing it as a scientist, viewing it like, okay, here's my hypothesis. This is what I want to test. I want to experiment and see if this works. And let's see what happens. And maybe it'll work, right? I want to go through the test in the best possible way, make sure that my protocols are in place, make sure that I'm, you know, diligent in how I'm going about the test and give myself the best possible chance to make the experiment successful. But if it doesn't work, okay, back to the drawing, drawing board. Can we try again? Can we tweak the experiment? Can we restructure it in some way? Um, so I, I think it's an important way to look at things um, because, yeah, that that experimenting process, I think, is really critical to to improving. And I, I really like that that story about the concentration grid, because I think I think it teaches an important lesson that, you know, quote unquote, failure or losing is is going to happen and it's going to happen a lot. And especially if you're playing matches and you're putting yourself out there, it's going to happen. There's plenty of plenty of people who don't necessarily compete, who maybe play tennis and they don't compete. There's plenty of people who maybe don't play a sport. Um, but if you're courageous enough 
to play a sport and to play competitively and to compete and to play matches, you're going to win and you're going to lose. And in a certain way, you're putting yourself out there. You're putting your identity out there. You're putting your ego out there. You're putting your maybe your reputation out there in a certain way. And that can be very scary for, for anybody. So I think I think that it's it's great to be able to essentially to train that skill, to train that skill of putting yourself out there, of potentially failing or losing at whatever you're doing. Um, but okay, can I think about how can I do it better? How can I do it better? How can I go about a better process? Can I learn from each attempt, right? Okay, what went well? What didn't go so well? You know, what would I do differently next time? What would I, you know, what did I learn from the situation? Can we break it down further? Um, and really try to, like a scientist, exam, really examine what actually happened here. So, it, so that the next time around, we can have maybe a little bit of a better attempt. So I'm curious, based on feel-good productivity, Josh, what experiments outside of tennis probably have you run and what's been the data and results and, and have you maybe optimized or iterated on, on the experiments? That's a good question. Um, I haven't made as many experiments. Um, one one exper I guess you could call it an experiment in a certain way, is just a, a change I, I would say I've been, you know, trying to make more in terms of um a, being consistent in an area of my life. Mm -hmm. Um I, I've I think for a little while, you know, in terms of reading, I know with myself, like I would go through spurts where I would read quite a bit and then I would stop for a while and then I'd read quite a bit and then stop for a while. And I would have times where I would really struggle with that, struggle just with the consistency element of that. Um, so one experiment that I've had, which is, I would say has been a successful one, has been um, trying to set really small goals and measure it. So I have the goal, um, which I've had for this year, which um, has been to read at least one page a day. Again, it's a very small goal. We could call that a tiny habit or whatever we want to call it. Um, and I have an app on my phone. It's called Way of Life, um, free app. And essentially, I just measure every day. I, I, I just say yes or no. Did I read at least one page or not? Most days it's yes. Um, some days it's no. But I can just keep track. And what I have found is this has led to a lot more consistency because it's, you know, I'm starting very small. There's some days where I'm exhausted or I have a lot going on. And it really is just that one page or it's three pages or something like that. But most days I, I hope, you know, I, I give myself that time. I, I start with that, with a page and it becomes a chapter or it becomes, you know, 20 pages or 50 pages or whatever it may be. And I think it, you know, just the fact that, um, yeah, you know, I, I think, I, the, the experiment here is that, you know, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm really going about it in a different way. Instead of me putting these expectations on myself, like I need to finish this book by a certain date, or I need to, um, you know, I, I need to read to the end of the chapter, or I need, you know, there are these different expectations. I'm starting really small. And I'm measuring it. And I think the I think both of those pieces, the the small expectations, um, 
as your sort of small hurdles, small habit itself, um, and the measurement aspect have really have really made a big difference. So I think for for me personally, and I'm glad you asked, um, those those aspects uh, of the experiment ha have have really been helpful. Yeah, it's good that you're you're talking about measuring it, right? Because to be a scientist, there has to be some data mm -hmm. that we're assessing. When we're talking about the tennis court, sometimes that data is subjective. It can be a feel, but you could still rate it, perhaps in a notebook of whatever it is that you're trying to work on. Uh, you know, somewhere between one and ten. How did how did that feel? Or getting into into that a little bit more in depth. And you know, the willingness to to experiment is important because at you know certain parts of our lives, and I've heard this, you've heard this players may believe they already know the best way to do something, even though they haven't tried other ways of doing that same thing. And we can get very attached to the way we do that. Um, you know, I think the sort of the classic conversation that I've had on that topic is with a lot of college tennis players who tend to uh, show a lot of emotion after points, you know, especially when they win points, there can be a lot of screaming, etc. And you know, I I think I've made this clear even in past episodes. My point of view on that is it's a it's a huge waste of energy, um, and you're you're only making yourself more judgmental about points, and you're probably celebrating a point in which you didn't even win anything of significance. And I, I've probably told this story before, but. I had been coaching um, at a particular conference tournament, and I was the only coach there. I'm trying to cover six courts, uh, you know, so one bank of courts are courts two, four, and six. I'm basically hanging out on court four and six, and then the other bank of courts are one, three, five, and I keep hearing our player at five screaming, you know, come on, and then I would look down, uh, you know, a minute or so later, I see the player from the other team changing the scorecard in her favor. And this just kept repeating. And I'm like, so she's screaming, come on, and she's losing all of the games. So what are we really getting all emotional for? And, you know, a lot of players on that team resisted the notion of trying to do things differently because they all believed that this brought out their best tennis. And my, you know, my retort to that was it clearly works to a degree. But how do you know that this might not take you to the next level to try something I may ask you to try? So two of the 10 players were willing to try something different, and including this one who was playing, you know, and, and, and having the, the outburst but losing games. And so the very next week, when we're in the NCAAs, we had talked about a different approach, a different way to acknowledge and be... Uh, you know, celebrating points. And she played probably one of the best matches I've seen her play all year. All right, now it was only one time, right? And a lot of other things could have fallen into place. But she even talked about how it felt better to try this. So I got her to experiment with something, and then we talked about it. We talked about how it felt, how she might iterate on it in the future. But if you never open yourself up to the experiment, you're kind of just stuck. And you don't really know because, you know, I, I use that 
the, the sentence, you know, these players told me they know what works for them. But no, I would put in quotes, you don't really know because you've never tried other things. And so it, it's through the doing and the experimenting that knowledge is more or less unlocked. We have the experience and then you can, you can easily tell me, okay, that didn't work at all. When I do that, I'm completely flat. I, I got nothing. Or you could say, yeah, it kind of worked. Maybe I'd like to add this. Or yeah, it totally worked. But now you know a little bit more because you were willing to experiment and you were willing to put your ego aside for sort of a greater purpose, which is to learn and to become and to become better. So I think it's always great that we're we're you know iterating and experimenting in our lives. I try to do that all the time. So this year for me, Josh, I'm using the James Clear journal. Um, which at the back of it has a habit tracker. Maybe it's similar to way of life, right? But it's got this cool kind of like spreadsheet look thing. You can write in your habits in the left-hand column. It's got one to 31 across the top. You can circle which month you're in and you can put an X or a check next to what you're doing. And it kind of gives you that feel for like, you want to continue the streak. Um, Maybe way of life shows you something like that as well. Yeah, That's right. Does. And, uh, you know, Jerry Seinfeld is is famous for uh, the comedian for having a big wall calendar and drawing an X through each day that he writes a joke. His, his, his goal is to write one joke per day and he might miss a day, but his rule is never miss two. And but the idea is don't break the streak. And so these kinds of measurements, these kind of visuals are really, you know, they're good. See how they work for you. Like I've really liked the the James Clear journal. Um, and so if you're interested in, you know, James Clear wrote Atomic Habits, there are links to that on his website, as well as other, you know, sort of habit tools that you can use and try it out. Maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. But um, I think it's always good to try new things and see if you can continue to optimize just who you are as a person, whether that's, you know, on the court or off. Definitely. And I, I think that that measurement aspect really makes a big difference, I think being able to continue that streak and get that, um, you know, that, that positive satisfaction from seeing, Hey, I'm at five days. I'm at seven days or however many days I'm at, I, I think is, is really positive as well. Um, one thing that I've found as a, you know, as I reflect on it right now, actually, is I've used this app in the past. I've used way of life in the past, but I've, I've, <laughs> I, I think I'm using it in a, in a far more effective way now. I think in the past I, I would have, five, six, seven, eight habits on there at a time and habits that maybe weren't as fully formed. So I was trying to form new habits at the same time. I was trying to make different changes. And what I found is that I just wasn't, I wasn't as consistent with any of them. So what I, what's worked for me is try, try to really focus on one thing really focus on building that habit, which which has, has really been helpful. And then from there, start to layer in another one and then try to build that and then try to layer in another one rather than saying, okay, I'm going to try to make all of these different changes at the same time. And I think it's, I think it's also true when it comes to experimenting, you know, we, we need to keep certain, I think keeping certain variables fixed um, is helpful. Right, so that we can really test whether something is working or not. Right, if we're if we're changing 
five different areas of our life, um, it, it may be tougher to see the, you know, coming back to sort of viewing it as an experiment or viewing it as a scientist, it may be tougher to see the the impact of each one, right? Which is why scientists fix, you know, keep certain variables fixed for that reason. Um, now, I think for, for, for many people, like what you're talking about with the James Clear um, habit tracker approach, I think it, it can absolutely be helpful. And especially, I think, if certain habits are already more formed um, and you can just keep track of them and then maybe there's others that are newer that you're trying to establish more or solidify, um, I think that can, can be very beneficial. But I, I just know for me, um, and I think, I, I think I've always sort of put things on way of life that are more on the new habit side of things or new or just habits that I'm trying to really increase my, the level of consistency that it's, it's just been helpful for me to, um, to stick with one. And, and it, you know, cause I, I would have things, um, you know, like, okay, I want to, um, you know, really try to build a, a successful morning routine. And this would have different pieces, you know, things like reading and meditating and exercising and, some of these different pieces where I would have certain days where I would do all of it. And then I would have certain days where life would happen or I would go to bed later or I would have to wake up earlier and I wouldn't manage to do any of them. Or I would, you know, fall, I would, there'd be multiple days in a row where I hadn't done, you know, certain ones. And yeah, I, I just find it a lot easier to, um, to focus on that one tiny habit, really try to do it, really try to, establish that habit further and then and then move on to the next one so if we think about you as an experimenter you have figured out a better way to use this app totally totally and 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 now you can even iterate on that further as you go through through your journey so i think that's that's a that's a valuable experiment right there you know you know a little bit better about how to do something so you know as players try to do things on the court, we also want to keep some data around that. So whether that's you just measuring how it felt today or the success of that, simple one to tens around something you're doing. So let's say you're maybe a, a goal or maybe you're experimenting with hitting your forehand in a different way or using a new grip. You would then at the end of your practice just rate, all right, how did I how did that go today? What did I notice? And one to 10 is a good start because that's easy to do. It doesn't take a lot of time. Today, maybe it felt like a five, felt like a three. Maybe write a couple of notes about that. Um, and as you get better and better at recording the data, you can write a little bit more about maybe what did feel good, what needs to work still, what am I learning in this process? But just measuring by a one to 10 scale gives you something to look at each day. You may even notice a trend. The longer you do it, maybe you're starting to see fives become sevens and eights. And now the eights are, are really consistent. So you've built some consistency with whatever it is. This way, it's not so much like trying to remember how it felt before you can have a look back. Um, and I tend to do this in, in very similar ways of like the, the James Clear habit tracker. So days across the top, sort of the skill I'm tracking on the left-hand side, and then the numbers are in the grid, and we can see some trends. And I do that with the athletes that I 
that I work with. So it's a very simple way of, of starting to gather some data and helps us learn what needs to be better, um, you know, in, in, in various areas. So I think that's, uh, you know, so I, as we're talking about being an experimenter, we also have to make sure we're a data collector in this process because that's what's really going to help you. And some of the data can be subjective. It can be about how you feel, how you feel you're doing. Not everything, especially as tennis players who aren't surrounded by, you know, swing vision or play side or anything that's collecting stats in the same way that maybe a pro player would have. We might just be left with how we feel and maybe how our coach feels. Totally. And I was going to add in that last point in terms of, yeah, what can your coach give feedback? Or if you're on a team, can your team or just in a, you know, in a training group or whatever it may be, can you ask other people around you for feedback? Okay. Hey, you know, and, and maybe something as simple as, Hey, I'm trying to do something a little bit different. You know, Hey, I know, you know, my game. Well, we've played together for a while. I'm trying to do something a little bit different on my forehand here. Would you mind just, you know, letting me know at the, at the end what, what you thought of it today or, you know, how was it um, playing against it? You know, did, did it feel like it had more spin or more pace or, or whatever? So just, you know, even just being able to have a conversation like that, I think can be helpful. Um, I know we wanted to also discuss being a student yeah. um, as as sort of the second piece of this. And it's a concept. I think we, we've talked about certain angles of this. So we've talked about this idea of having a beginner's mind, um, which I think is really important, you know, to, to be able to, again, not feel like we know everything, not feel like we know what's best for us, be willing to you know, go in and, and constantly be learning. And I think when it, when it comes to a beginner's mind, um, you know, we want to approach situations as if we've never been in them before, right? It's almost like, you know, we can go into a tennis clinic and feel like we know everything, right? Oh, I've played this sport for a while. You know, what do I have to learn here? Or we could go in and try to just Take it all in. Imagine that we've never been in a clinic before. Imagine that we've never received coaching before. So everything we receive is, you know, everything that we hear or we receive is is completely novel. It's completely new. Um, and I think it's it's really the same thing where we can, you know, if we're playing in a match or in a set or tiebreaker or whatever it may be, um, you know, can we approach it as if as if we're a beginner? Can we try to take in that information in that way? Can we try to learn from it in that same sort of a way? Um, and I think I think that's really an effective, really an effective way to be. But I think when it comes to being a student broadly, it's you know we we never you know even as we become adults, move into you know our, our adult years, that that learning process doesn't need to end, shouldn't end, um, and we always want to be a student. We always want to be able to take in information and learn and adapt and, and experiment as we were talking about before, but, um, you know, be willing to constantly broaden our horizons, look for ways to get better, look for ways to continue learning. Um, and I think there's a lot here. And I think that, you know, really, if we think about the best players, and I think Djokovic actually is a great example of this. I mean, his book, Serve to Win, which came out, I think, maybe 2010. No, maybe no, it was actually must've been after 2011. So um, in the early 2010s, we'll say um, he talks a lot about just looking at every aspect of his game and trying to make 
changes making, he made, I know he made some really significant changes to his diet. He may, you know, he, he went completely gluten-free. He went, um, dairy-free. Uh, he, you know, he, I know he, he has done a lot of mental training. He incorporated yoga. So he really looked at his game and, you know, as a, you know, he, he looked at it as a student. He looked at it as how can I improve? How can I learn? How can I grow in all these different areas? Now, it would have been very easy for him as somebody, I think he, you know, he became, he became number one through this process, but he was number three before this. Would have been someone, it would have been very easy for somebody who's ranked number three in the world to say, you know what? I don't need to make changes. Obviously, what I'm doing is working. You know, look at my ranking and just stuck with what he was doing. But instead, he said, no, I want to learn. I want to grow. I know I can get better but I'm not going to just get better by doing what's working. Right. I mean, so he really examined different aspects of what he was doing, different aspects of his game, took a look in the mirror, made some serious changes and we can see the, the impact that it's had since, since he's made those changes. So um, I think that's a great example. For sure. And there's an article I'd like to share with a lot of athletes called uh, how 1% improvements can can help you improve your overall performance. And it's a story about Dave Brailsford, who was the coach of uh, the uh, Olympic cycling team for Great Britain and the whole mm-hmm. cycling program, which, you know, in the late 90s was not a great program. Um, but they started to look at all these little marginal gains that they could achieve uh, in their training. They had their uh, athletes bring their pillows from home on the road. They were meticulous about the kinds of beds they were sleeping in. They made sure all the dust was out of their training rooms. All these little, little tiny things that ended up impacting their performance. And they've become one of the better cycling teams in the world. Um, And it actually went on to win gold, I believe, maybe even in Sydney. So, you know, 1% gains are are always something we can look at. And we want to make sure we're, we're doing that in the important areas, of course. But the idea of being a student, Josh, it reminds me of um, a journaling exercise that Brian Johnson of, uh, of Heroic, if you want to go check out Brian Johnson, go to heroic.us. And he has this um, sort of identity, virtues, behaviors journaling exercise. And let's say for today's um, episode, we're going to try to identify ourselves as students, great students. So that could be our identity. What you know, we're going to be a great student. What are the virtues of a great student? Let's think about that for a bit. Maybe it's a love of learning. Maybe it's enthusiasm for a topic, etc. There could be a lot of different things that go into that. Um, Open mindedness, etc. And then finally, what are the behaviors based on your virtues, based on your identity? What are the behaviors of a great student? who, you know, loves to learn, et cetera. And you start to think about, okay, what can I be doing on a daily basis that really reflects me being a great student, really embody this idea of the virtues of a great student. And I have found this to be a very helpful way to look at just your day every day in terms of like who you want to be on a, on a given day. Um, I tend to write this out each day, but you know, you could also write it out once and then read it every day. 
just to kind of connect with that because it, this is really is an important part of the o- overall process. And I think the last thing I would say, Josh, about being a student is also how you relate to your coach or your trainer or maybe your kind of quote unquote master here um, and making sure that you are you have complete trust in them that you completely believe and you do wholeheartedly what they ask you to do. Even, you know, if you don't understand it, maybe you can ask a little bit more about why, but that there's probably a purpose to it. So can we try that thing? Can we recognize that maybe I don't know everything? Maybe I don't really know what's going on here. Let me try this because it's more important to be a student in this moment, to try the experiment and get some data. Um, and as we've discussed many times, Josh, that that coach-athlete relationship is such an important piece of what's going on. And if you as the athlete are are closed-minded or not connecting with the coach, then then it won't work nearly as well. So we have to take a lot of responsibility as the player, as the student, to make that relationship work. Now, of course, that that changes over time. If you were eight years old, we probably don't have a lot of eight-year-old listeners, uh, but if you're eight years old, it's probably going to be more about, okay, the coach says, do this, I do that. But if you're you know, 15 and over, we want you to own a little bit more of that. We want you to co-create this process. And with to do that, you have to have a really great relationship with that coach and you have to really trust that coach. Totally, totally. And I think that that trust is really key. And I think it's that openness is really key, that openness um, which again, I think relates to the ego, which I think relates to the ego as well, right? Not feeling like we know everything, we know what's best, we don't have anything to learn because we've achieved what we've achieved, right? But no, I am working with this coach for a reason. I'm working with this coach because there's something I can learn here. And I think being able to see things through that sort of a framing is is really helpful and it and sets you up to be able to learn as much as possible from them. So um, no, I think that's, I think that's really helpful. I think also, you know, a concept that's I think related in a certain way here is, you know, just being able to begin again. Right. Um, which is kind of a mindfulness topic. Sometimes it comes up in meditation and that sort of thing um, of being able to begin again. And um, to, to me, this is important where because we want to be able to you know there will be times where we maybe stop being a student or or stop you know stop fully engaging with that process of trying to get better and maybe we feel like we've you know we feel like we've stopped experimenting or we we haven't necessarily been making the changes that we want to make um but i think this idea of beginning again is is really important the idea that, that at any time we can make the the conscious effort, make the decision to to, to restart, to you know, to come back to where we want to be, to start learning again, to be a student in that way. I mean, you know, it, it, if we can compare it to meditation, it's you know, okay, I'm I'm trying to focus on my breathing, I'm trying to focus on my present moment, you know, on, on the present moment, and then I get distracted. And I start thinking about the past or the future or something else. And then we begin again. And I, I'm trying to focus on the present. I'm sort of restarting that process. And I think this is just can be true of a lot of areas of life. I think it's true in the learning process. 
um, where, you know, we can stray from that and we can come back and begin again. I think this is true in so many different areas that, you know, if we have the attitude that we don't have to be perfect, that, you know, we can have periods of time where maybe we're learning more or learning less, but we have the overarching idea um, or even identity of us as a learner or maybe a lifelong learner, then I think it makes it a lot easier that when, you know, that that we're constantly looking for those opportunities to restart that process, to begin again, to, you know, to start being a student um, in maybe a different way and maybe learn about a topic in a different way or maybe make a change or an experiment in a different way and just be able to restart that that process. So what experiments are all of our listeners running? Uh, we'd love to hear about that. You know, what, what are you experimenting with in your game, maybe outside of your game? How's it going? How are you collecting data? Those would be really interesting things for uh, Josh and I to read about and just improve even in what we're doing and how we're helping other athletes. But um, yeah, feel free to share what your experiments are. You can email us at tennisiqpodcast at gmail.com and we'll be sure to reply uh, to you as well. So that's our show for today. Thank you for listening. For more on today's episode, please check out the show notes. If you have any feedback or questions for the two of us, please email us at tennisiqpodcast at gmail.com. Also, if you're enjoying the content that Josh and I discuss each week, please rate and review the podcast so other tennis enthusiasts can find it more easily. Additionally, to be notified of new episodes, please subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice, including YouTube. And you can also check us out on Instagram. If you would like to support the podcast, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash podcast slash membership, where you can learn about the benefits of being part of the Tennis IQ podcast community. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you soon in our next episode.